Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm your host and coach, Tyler Johnson. Thank you for tuning in. If you are a return listener, I'd be grateful for your rating or review. And if you dig this episode, give us a like or share. And now, whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you are in the right place. After facing his fair share of challenges as a youth, my guest this episode went on to become the first Division I basketball player missing a limb to get a full scholarship. After that, he went on to play professionally in Asia, and then he was featured in the documentary Long Shot, which is linked up here. He's also the author of the book Get In The Game. You can buy it and check that out as well. Then he has gone on to speak all over the globe, sharing his message around the world, literally on every continent. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Kevin Atlas. Kevin, how are you doing today? Doing awesome, man. Better now I'm with you. Uh, excited to have you on. Um, I guess to start, for listeners that might not know a little bit about you and your story, can you give us kind of a, a quick Cliff Notes version? Yeah, uh, I was the first Division One basketball player to play with the disability. I lost my arm at birth. I tell most people I lost it because I got the J&J vaccine when COVID happened. And it fell off. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I was... This this guy who just had this tremendously hard upbringing. My parents were divorced. Uh, my dad passed away when I was ten, and I was just kind of in a broken home without a you know great circumstances to allow me to become successful. I, uh, you know, I got cut from the seventh grade basketball team at six four, and by my senior year of high school, I was ranked top fifty players in Northern California, and I had scholarships all over the uh, the country. It was awesome, and, and it broke my leg. Uh, George W. Bush flew out on Air Force One. I broke my leg, lost all my scholarships the same day in a basketball game and uh, went to redeem a scholarship offer at Manhattan College in New York uh, after playing a year at prep school in Virginia. And then after my pro career overseas, I uh, decided to start my own company with the intention of just helping people and spreading love, empathy, and kindness. So I travel the world and I elevate others and uh, I made a, a non-negotiable which is this world's going to be a better place for me being in it. And that's how I live my life. No doubt. If you, if you uh, go on YouTube, you can find a lot more about Kevin's story too. And I think the uh, other thing you did recently, not too long ago, was the series you put out, you know, right along with your mission there, the Believe in You series. Um, it's one of the things I always talk about. I think it's one of the first things early is, is that self-belief. But can you talk about, about why? our self-belief is so critical, especially maybe sometimes before others are going to believe in us. For sure. Uh, the, the Believe in You series, uh, I collaborated with this company called Varsity Brands, BSN, Herb Jones, and Varsity Spirit. And I, I did so because I was doing this, you speaking across the country, I've been 40 in the U.S. states, and I've spoken about 900 different college and high schools, which is pretty ridiculous if you start doing that. Uh, but, you know, I just didn't have enough reach. You know, there's so much anxiety, depression, the suicide rates have skyrocketed. And I've seen the good, bad, and ugly. I mean, going to different states is like going to different countries, if you will, when it comes to the American youth. And they're struggling, man. And the yeah. joke I make is if, you know, the, you have a football team, say a pro football team, and all the, uh, you know, all the, the rookies are suicidal, anxious, and depressed, how's the team going to look like in, you know, five years? And I said, like, maybe the, the Jacksonville Jaguars or something, they suck. 
<laughs> this country's going to look if we don't do something about it. So the Believe in You series is a free series on believeinyou.com that you can watch. There's three seasons currently out. And essentially, the intention of it is to gain a, a larger reach to really fill the gaps of what the education system is missing, mental health being them. But each theme has a different episode. And the intent was to really, you know, not play Superman, but get like the whole Justice League or the Avengers have all these professional athletes and these awesome philosophers and all people from all different walks of life who each are death stars. American youth. But I, I, I think that the number one weakness with the youth of America, from my perspective, which is vast, it's put to millions of kids, is self-love and that self-belief. Yeah. Uh, your question. And uh, I really don't think that, uh, you know, social media plays a great role in this, but unlike previous generations, these kids have been guinea pigs to uh, essentially picking themselves apart, being able to see everybody else evaluating themselves on a number or a grade, whether it be athletically, how many followers you have, or academically, and they just, dude, they just kill themselves. Like, how, how, how are you supposed to be loved? How can anyone love you if you can't love yourself? If you can't fully look in the mirror and say, I love you and love yourself back, then how, how the heck is anyone in the world supposed to be able to? So uh, I, I really think that that self-belief and finding your confidence and finding your voice and finding what your passion and what your creed is and being unapologetic about it is essential for, for every human to kind of gain that ability to be themselves fully. Yeah. You think about empathy. Um, you know, a lot of coaches and student athletes kind of listen to this. I can you talk just about how a little empathy can go such a long way and what a powerful I mean, tool it is. Tyler, do like empathy is, is, I think, it's my favorite mastery. It, you know, you can master different uh, techniques and different attributes that you can essentially acquire over time. Uh, I think mastering empathy is essential for becoming a great leader. Um, I think that being able to see, you know, through other people's shoes and fully feel what they feel and understand them is, is incredible. I mean, it's, if you want to be a, a great salesperson, you have to be able to understand your customer base. That's why the biggest companies in the world care so much about customer reviews because that's who they're servicing and they don't know how to scale and get better. If you want to be a great coach, you have to be able to connect to these kids. I mean, if you want to be a good team captain, it's the same thing. If you can't put yourself in other people's shoes and express and, and, and articulate, hey, I understand how you feel and I would feel crappy too, but how can I help you out? I mean, then you're not really positioning yourself to make massive positive change. I think empathy is, is uh, a lost art in a sense or something that isn't ingrained in people as much as it may have used to be. Uh, and I think that it's, it's the human connection. It's the jelly that keeps us together uh, even in biblical times jesus christ said you know the golden rule which is love your neighbor as yourself but but if you take that very literally love your neighbor not as you love yourself but love your neighbor as yourself like true mastery of empathy is realizing that every single like soul is almost like born exactly the same that you have a different body a different family a different circumstance you were born in a different belief system in a different country all out of your control, all variables out of your control. And if you were them, 
you might be a jerk too. If you were them, you might be struggling too. And, and just being able to realize that they're just an extension of you just with different experiences and different choices, like that's true empathy. So then you start to look at everybody a little bit different. Like, dude, man, like that guy, if that was me, man, I'd be in that same position. That's insane. Um, and, and, and being able to, to master this art positions you again to, to be able to really help others and, and have just a, a much more purposeful life. Sure. When you had a, a empathetic and fantastic coach in your life, Coach McKnight, right? Yeah. Mr. So coach. You talk, one of the things that I always talk about too, and I know you're a big believer in it, is just the power of one. Can you talk about how maybe, you know, the power of, you know, one coach, one mentor, one good teammate can, can change lives? Yeah. And, uh, and th this is so true. So uh, I think that uh, I was born in, in challenging circumstances. I you know, was diagnosed with ADHD. I had a speech deficiency. You know, I was diagnosed with dyslexia. I was in anger management and counseling. Couldn't read till third grade. Uh, I wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed, if you will. <laughs> I feel like over time, my brain developed a little bit better. But uh, yeah, I, I just struggled academically. I struggled socially. I was watching my father pass away from third grade to, to fifth grade when he died. Uh, and that, you know, opened up a whole different traumatizing stuff. Um, how do you even deal with it back then? Uh, but then also physically, like I was 10 years old. I was five foot 10 with one arm and shaggy red hair back then. I looked like Ronald McDonald. It was crazy. And so for me, I really needed some sort of uh, some sort of structure in my life that was really going to kick my ass. And I, I believe that tough love is, is, is still love. And I think that the world has become a lot more sensitive. And I know we just talked about empathy. So this is where I contradict myself is that I'm not really helping you. Like if you think of the best coaches or teachers in your life, they're the ones that were the hardest on you. They were the ones that really pushed you to be better. You forget about the guys who just don't care and just trying to make you happy. You, you remember the ones that made you better and pushed you leaving yourself beyond the limits of what you thought you could do. And that's what Coach McKnight was for me. I think we're all born in different circumstances. 10% of your life is what happens to you. 90% is how you react. And uh, my life started in seventh grade. I went up to the school called Pleasanton Middle School. It's called PMS. Solid for school. School colors are red, too. I mean, <laughs> Out, but um, ultimately, I uh, I got cut from the seventh grade team. I was six foot four. I got cut from the seventh grade team because basketball was essentially a, from the opinion of somebody's dad playing seventh grade coach. Right? It was a two arm sport, and I should try something else. So uh, you know, this guy in this neighboring town heard about me, and he ran this AAU program that was you know very successful. And he heard about me, and he he had my mom come bring me to a tryout and we didn't know him. He didn't know us, but whatever was in his heart, uh, he looked forward to the opportunity to like get a kid that struggled on his team. And, uh, you know, it, it was wild. So we're doing these tryouts and, and, and I sucked, man. I, I didn't have any business being there. I couldn't make my seventh grade team, let alone a varsity team, let alone be like an MVP from like the different high schools across the San Francisco area on this like stacked ranked team. Right. Yeah. I started bowling and they started, you know, dunking on me and stuff. And coach stopped practice and he walked on the court and he said, Kevin, why don't you use that arm when you play? And he pointed at my left arm, which is, well, no, it's about six inches below the forearm, but it's all like bone. Um, and he's like, why don't you use that when you play? And I said, coach, I don't have an arm. Like, what are you talking about? He's like, that means a weapon. Uh, 
and there's nothing in the rule book against nubbing people. So, <laughs> you know, since I was the first basketball player with one arm, right, I probably ruined that for the rest of them. Uh, <laughs> my coach essentially, he made this, uh, made me the dirtiest player in, in, in basketball because I would, I would just shake people with this stuff. <laughs> ribs i've broken a few noses i it's so strong and it's so powerful uh mostly because if you're a wrestler you know what stubs and nubs are meaning like like mike tyson this is a great analogy uriah favor told me he's a knockout king because he has t-rex arms they're so tiny but he uses his body because the closer you are to the body the more powerful you are this arm is like 70 feet long and wingspan super short, but this being so close to the body, I have great leverage. Because of that, this is powerful, man. And not guys but I can also stab them and the refs can't see it, right? I just shake these guys and then they take off because it hurts so bad and they try to fight me and the refs call on them while you're trying to fight the one arm guy. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Crazy because for, for me, like I, I didn't realize I had everything I needed to be successful. It was a perspective shift. And this is a big portion of what I speak about, not only to, to like the American youth, but the corporations as well. I spoke to corporate Gatorade last week and I spoke to the Cowboys facility as well. But you, you really got to be able to look at things with a different perspective, almost like you can shake a ball from this. Like you, you have to look and find, and that's another trick, another skill trick. You can always find something, but even the bad. And that's how you always win. This arm would be considered a disability by most. I don't see it that way at all. This is a blessing in disguise. I was way better for having this arm than if I, if I didn't. And if you gave me two arms today, I wouldn't take it. And that, that's, that's self-love, man. Like, that, like, this thing was an incredible advantage, and I never realized that. And empathy. Put yourself in my shoes. Girls are ruthless. They thought this was like the cootie generator or something. Like, see if you touch my nub, you get one too. I don't know. Was that guys were ruthless too. You know, it's always these awkward circumstances. You never felt like you fit in growing up, and then all of a sudden, this coach defined it a little bit differently. And for me, as an athlete, isn't confidence like that variable that's like universal between all between all sports? Like you have to find your confidence, or else like. How are you going to do well? Right. I would argue in life, but let's just just sports, right? This thing, I how could I be confident with it? But all of a sudden, because I embraced myself, I didn't make it weird. I wasn't projecting that weird energy, like I was self conscious and stuff. And then the world was able to embrace me too. And I found my confidence in my arm, and the people around me stop. If they're around me enough, they forget I even have one. One arm. And that's insane. Like the, the ability for the human body to adapt, that adaptation is so beautiful. And that's, that's how we uh, like evolve. So what I realized is, hey, man, I can do everything everybody else can do with one arm. So I can probably grow faster than everybody else because I'm so honed into adaptation. I had to figure out my own ways of doing things and it sucked at first, but I became good at it. So maybe I can look at different things and be able to kind of break them down. Maybe that's a strength of mine. So it didn't just... Um, extend athletically through this coach giving me confidence and getting me to believe in myself it extended academically financially it extended socially it extended pretty much at all stems of life because this coach really ignited a different perspective of what i was capable of doing um, and that's all it took like that's the power of one that's the power of a coach because essentially you have the ability to make massive impact and look at me as is a projection of him just caring a little bit more about one 
think about the ripple effect of all the people that helped in the world because I figured that. Yeah. Inspiration, that the elevation, the, the kids I spend one-on-one with who are contemplating suicide, like all of that is an extension of a guy just caring a little more than he had to, bringing on a one-armed guy, looking at it as an opportunity instead of you can't do this because I can't conceive how you do it. But like a guy who figured a way to believe in me and then get me to believe in myself and then ripple effect was endless. And that's really the power of a coach or a teacher or anybody who wants to step up outside of their matrix and their normal day-to-day routine and really make impact. And that, that was, that was essentially. Was, uh, it is a beautiful story. Um, I that was a super rant. Man. I'm so, no, sorry. that was what I, want. I wanted to, I wanted <laughs> oh, to hear it. Oh, I, want, I wanted to hear it. Uh, <laughs> you, you, talk, you mentioned it before, and I think that's one of the things that stood out in my story, because I think as athletes, as, as students, as young people, highs and lows, I think, maybe me looking back, maybe others agree, disagree, they seem to go higher and lower. The swings are a little bit more up and down. Um, to, to kids out there that, you know, going from that morning to meeting the president, to playing a big basketball game and breaking your leg and in, in just that like 12 hour of that day span, what was that like? And then what's something maybe you learned from that, that, that you share with kids that they can use to manage some of those highs and lows? This is an insanely good question, Tyler, because this is something, uh, you know, you caught me with this. You got me. Uh, the, thing, the thing about this question is, is this is, this is right now, literally right now a place, you know, internally where, where I'm still struggling with. And I, you know, let me humble myself. I don't have everything figured out. I don't know if anyone does out there, but like, this is, this is what I'm honed in on right now as far as growth, because you know, the, the story with the president is I got a call and I hung up. It was the white house. I thought it was a prank call sitting in my English class. And I, uh, I got a call back and they said the president of the United States, it was George W. Bush at the time was really inspired by me. and was going essentially uh, to meet me. And so, about five weeks later, I, I got to meet him off Air Force One. You know, he spent 40 minutes with him, and it was a really cool experience. And I went back to a basketball game that night, and I broke my leg in the game, lost all my scholarship offers all my senior year. But that was just one example of how my life continued to come. I mean, it's so ridiculous, right? Like, the president, oh, the president's going to meet you, you're going to break your leg. Uh, worst part about that story that I never tell anybody is he asked me what school I was going to, and I, you know, I, was, I said I wanted to go to Pepperdine. And because he was going to write me a, a you know, a, a letter to Harvard, which uh, I probably should have taken. Uh, I was really kicking myself. Uh, but, but, but it was, a, it was a tremendous, like hard, hard moment for me and a pivotal mo- moment as an athlete. And a lot of us go through those injuries, et cetera. Uh, but that just never stopped. Like right now I'm, I'm going to be pitching three TV shows in the next month. Which I'm not supposed to be the word, but three different TV shows. Something always really incredible happens and then something always dips. And it's, it's continuous and I'm still finding lessons. I think that the, the best way uh, to handle it, you know, that I understand how to handle it right now is, is when they, when you get too overwhelmed, <laughs> generally I just like to take a nap because then I come with like, you know, whatever chemical balance that people have in their brain scientifically, it's a reset. So if you look at things, when you're overwhelmed and you just can't take it, just if you figure out a way to distract yourself to fall asleep, wake up with a clear mind and then just approach it objectively. Like it's not your situation. It's somebody else's. 
that, you're looking at it a more of a rational way than an emotional way. Because sometimes when you get emotional about bad things that happen to you, you make them worse. Sure. Right? You do. You, you, take, like, you take it out on someone else, which is the most common, or you, 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 you pick up that phone and you just like fire the bullet across the world, like just burn it all to the ground because you're, you, just can't, you just can't handle it at the moment. But if you can essentially take that nap and then look at it objectively like it's somebody else's problem and you look at it as if you're giving advice to somebody else, you're, you're really using your brain and not your body. I mean, that's, that's a separation right there. So you're thinking very rationally. And I think that there's always a calculated way to be able to transform that situation into, even if it's a failure, into a learning experience, or you can essentially develop you know, success out of it and get yourself, maybe that problem wasn't that crazy. A lot of the times we live in our head and we build it up and we have these like dialogues that, you know, yeah, yeah. you know, you go in the shower and you, you start winning an argument that bit yeah. hasn't happened. Uh, so so I, I think that just not over, people say overthinking it and that's how I define overthinking it. I think, I think taking a crash nap and then looking at objectively with a clear mind is is the best way that I've learned to uh, to move forward in situations like that. Like a great great tool. Uh, traveling the world uh, and working with youth, uh, you know, like you have, and you kind of touched on America and kind of mental wellness. In your experience of travel, what's something outside the United States that maybe you've observed or seen that you wish we could do more with our youth here in the United States? Yeah, I, uh, that is, man, you're hitting me with the great questions. <laughs> hey, uh, I spent a lot of time in Asia and specifically to the youth. You know, I'm sure I won't to rant about everything, but like with, with the youth, and I've been to every continent but Antarctica. With the youth that I've, I've spent a lot of time with the youth in Taiwan, Hong Kong, and mainland China. And they're so competitive academically. It is incredible. It is, different and the culture is a hundred percent different than the American culture. They're also humble enough to see the American culture and see what we're doing in the Silicon Valley and you gain face essentially it's it's uh, commendable for their kids to come over here for college to have that innovation which they lack a little bit. I mean they do the labor and they have that labor force in a very powerful country but if they can cut us out of that innovation and then be creating the products with the Steve Jobs to, you know the you know, Elon Musk's, uh, you, you know, like that, the Zuckerberg, if they could just be the heart of creating, they'll also have that labor force uh, manufacture. So that's, I, I believe, uh, a great national strategy for them. And uh, they get to go to school. What I'm getting at is they get to go to school. They want to. It's competitive as sports. Academics is competitive as sports. And they also know that a great deal of their population doesn't have the opportunity. They have over a billion people in their country, and not everyone's going to be working, you know, for five cents an hour. So it's it's a little bit different perspective in South America and in Africa, from where I've experienced, and I can only speak from my personal experience. Uganda, Kenya, etc. They get to go to school. It's a blessing. Yeah. Now it's a way to have a better life, not only for yourself than your family. Sure. In Europe, man, way different vibe. Like, it's not dreadful. It's not this dread. Or in America, from my experience, kids have to go to school. Yeah. 
They have to. That's crazy. It's only because they decide that school sucks. It's like this, this vibe that consistently blankets America where it's like, this is dread. And, and I don't, I understand it, but I don't get how it hasn't been figured out from the education system. Like somebody hasn't seen what I've seen and also acquired the solution and deployed it on a national level. To be honest, principals for the most part are guessing how to run schools. Even if they've done it for 30 years, there's not communication through all the principals in the country. They're not really learning from each other for the most part. So how can I do what I did last year better and continue to scale? You get very content doing the same thing you've always done and you feel like that's the way to do it while technology grows and these issues between these kids grow and you don't grow with them you don't scale so you're declining and that's what the american youth is doing they're miserable absolutely miserable and uh, one thing i say in my speeches sometimes when it's fitting it works is like if i'm in an auditorium i'll figure out if the special needs kids are in the room like the kids with high autism you know to them and, and what I'll do is I'll trap everybody who say, who doesn't like school? Let's be honest. It's a four-year prison sentence. It sucks, right? And I have them all raise their hand and then I go to the special needs and I ask like, like a kid with autism, do you like school? And he's like, I don't love it. I'm so happy. Yeah. I, I look at everybody else is like, he gets to go to school and you all have to go to school. You go to the same school. Yeah. But he just decides to enjoy it. No wonder you guys are all miserable. How, how many of you guys even know his name? Yeah. Name. Raise your hand. Oh, so the ones that don't, that's probably why you're miserable because you're hanging around all your friends and you're constantly complaining and you're just around negativity and that spreads like wildfire. But this guy, he's super happy. And honestly, it'd be better if none of you hung out with him for him because he's going to continue to be happy. But maybe you're miserable because you don't know. Isn't that crazy? It's just the perspective. Like, it's, it, it is a decision. You literally have to say, despite whatever situation you're in, my intention is to be happy. My intention is to find the good and the bad and not focus on the bad. Skiers do this. And this is an analogy that I did not originate, but skiers do this. If you focus on the trees, you're going to hit one. If you focus on the negatives, you're going to absolutely be negative and you're going to spread it. And the people around you are going to be contagious with negativity. And that's that's the tables that you're going to sit at every day. The people that you're comfortable around spewing negativity. And it's just, oh my gosh, shut up. I love Gary V how he deals with negativity because I can't say some of the stuff that he says, but I feel the same way. I'm just figuring out different ways to articulate it uh, and, and, and break it into these kids' minds that, dude, your school is filled with a bunch of people that get paid too little money to literally serve you. who are only there to see your success. That's it. You, are, you get to take any class and learn about what you want to learn about and everybody's here to serve you. They cook for you. They feed you. They do everything for you. And you show up with a bad attitude. You're not grateful. You don't thank, you know, a teacher for spending, you know, their weekend making a lesson plan that you zone out or sleep in class and then walk out and don't even say thank you. And you know, janitors, how, how many times do you think a janitor? I mean, not all those boys at school are hitting the urinal perfectly, right? <laughs> they're pissed. Like, come on, man, right? I love it. Oh, let, me, let me serve you, master. Let me serve you every day for, for, for pennies. Like, who are you to just be so miserable and just to feel so pretentious in a way that you, like, you've earned it? Like, the, people are serving you. You come with gratitude. You humble yourself. You realize this is an opportunity. While I'm here, it could be hell. It could be prison. It could be high school. While I'm here, might as well make the best of it. Might as well go all in. 
because I can't leave. So that, that's the thing. Like, I can't go anywhere. Legally, I got to be here. So while I'm here, dude, let's make the absolute best of this miserable. And then if you have that mentality and you show up every day, like, how can I wake up every day and be a little bit more charged and energized and positive? It could be meditation. It could be eating breakfast. It could be not staying on your phone on TikTok until 11 p.m. at night. And then you wake up all tired at 7 a.m. Like, whatever it is that you need to do to fix the attitude, then you will approach everything differently and it won't be miserable. Or you could just dread every day. That's crazy, right? Yeah. That's the difference with the American youth. And it scares the hell out of me because I don't see it in the same way any other continent in the world. Sure. It, it, it is America's problem. And it's sad. It's not every kid, but it's in every state. Yeah. And it's in most schools. And, you know, again, 900 of them is a great sampler platter. Uh, within 10 years of doing this, if you start doing the math, I mean, like, yeah. it's terrifying. And it's only gotten worse. Despite my efforts, uh, COVID has, has affected it, but it, the, the issues have scaled and they've gotten worse. And we haven't put our foot down. It, the opposite has happened. Inflation's happened. They, they can't get enough teachers to teach, et cetera. It, it, it's, it's becoming scary. And inevitably, Tyler, like, what's going to end up happening are one of two things. We take these problems very seriously. I have my success with Varsity Brands, I believe new series that we're looking for. We create this band to go and blow it all up in, in maybe the education system. We get somebody in the office and power to, to change the way we do things. Or we all go to Web3. And the only people showing up to high schools are kids who essentially go there for sports or want to go to homecoming. Um, are going to take Zuckerberg's classes on their VR set. Right. Right. Not actually ever going to go to school, have any human interaction, yeah. like social awkward, like social intelligence won't develop at all. It'd just be a bunch of weird, creepy, like <laughs> weirdos that walking around. They never left their house for 18 years. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, the stakes are high. The stakes are high, man. No doubt. I, I, I like how you, you know, the stakes are high. And I think you've probably seen at the same time when you observe, there's some amazing principles and amazing people that are that sometimes just that one, that catalyst to change their cultures. Um, you know, what is the, one of the things you may be a common characteristic when you see those leaders in schools or teams or corporations that are bringing in some joy and some of the good, what's one of the common things you observe with them? And niceness, kindness. Every time they're always kind to that person, they're kind. Think it, close your eyes. Think of that person. They always stand out. It's not popular, like you're the most popular, or you're the best looking, or you're the best athletic, so, or whatever makes you, you know, artificially popular at school. Think of that kid who's like absolutely like infectious and awesome and elevating and a great leader, always kind. Yeah. Every single time they're kind because they've mastered empathy. And by mastering empathy, you can consciously be kind. So it's, it's a universal characteristic because in order to be a great leader, you have to learn to be empathetic. A great example is George Washington. I love this about him. When he was not President Washington, he was General Washington. This is where empathy meets strategy. I love this story. So he got served by, you know, some of his, he got served his meal, like it was nighttime, right? And he, and he said, no, Has, have all my, my troops eaten? Have all my soldiers eaten? And, and, and he asked if he could be served last. And then there wasn't any food for him. And so he realized that there wasn't enough food for me. There wasn't enough food for all my soldiers. We have to flee from this battle. We're not going to have the energy to fight. We don't have the resources. And he became the slippery general. He won as many battles as he retreated from before fighting. We couldn't catch him. 
And that's, that's awesome because he used empathy as a strategy because he would have been marching his soldiers with high energy in the battles that they weren't able to fight because they didn't have any food. And that's genius. So like, if you, if you think about empathy and how it relates to that leadership, like how are you supposed to lead? First off, if you can't love yourself, who the heck's going to follow you? Seven billion people in the world, there's one you. You're Picasso. You have to find that self-love and that confidence, that voice. You have to find that. And that takes one person believing in you, and that's for you to understand and look at yourself in a different perspective. And I hope that everyone listening to this can look in the mirror and eventually say, I love you and mean it. If you gave me a left arm, I wouldn't take it. I love this. And, I, and that's self-love. You, you really have to be able to, to really be empathetical towards others. And by doing so, you'll inherently become kind. And, and by being kind, you'll spread that love and that kindness and that energy will be infectious and people will be drawn to you. Why? Who wants to be around negative people all the time? Who wants to be around positive people that are high energy? Yep. So people are going to be attracted to you like flies, like magnet, right? Because you're just a good, happy human being and you're spreading it to them. And like, we're all in on life. We didn't be born. We're all going to die. And those are the facts. So while we're here, why don't we go all in? And if we're going to go all in, we might as well just enjoy everything that we have and just go all in and do it the best we can do it. I mean, what else do we got to do? We got to sit here and wait for us to die, right? Tyler, we're all fighting against gravity. We're losing. We're all dead, man. We're all six feet under in the end. I know that's, that's morbid, but that's the fact. So while we're alive and we got a heartbeat, might as well just do our best to just elevate who we are and try to maximize our potential and our reach and how many people we impact, no matter what your job is, no matter what your path is, what your calling is. You might as well be kind. You might as well be a great leader. You might as well be empathetical. And honestly, you might as well be happy. Because why not? I'm grateful. Oh, yeah. Able. Oh, yeah. I'm stable. Thank you for listening. If something caught your ear as useful or unique this episode, we would love your help spreading the Elevate message. You can find me on Instagram at Elevate Educate Rejuvenate. That's with the numeral instead of the A-T-E. Thank you again, and if I can help you with anything, please reach out. And don't forget, go elevate others.